Okay, uh, open your Bibles to Revelation, but what I want to do is you can also open to Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> As you open it, really start with 24, Matthew 24. We're gonna, I'm just going to read a portion of that text, and, and I think it will feed into it. At the very least, I've alluded to it more than once, but I've never read it, and I think it's time to just read. Sometimes just a, an unadulterated reading of God's Word uh, obviously speaks you know, far better than one could in, in, in commentary. Um, I think both are nice, but we need to really read the Word. Uh, to build up to it again, we're on Revelation, we're on chapter 6. John receives a vision, he's taken up, he sees a vision, he hears the Lord speaking, the Ancient of Days, his presence is magnificent to the point where John said, I just fell down as though dead. That's the presence of God in, your, in our sight. And then uh, we went through the great throne scene, chapters 4 and 5. He addressed the seven churches from Ephesus to uh, Laodicea, all seven. Then in 4 and 5, the throne scene, the scrolls, seven seals. Each time he breaks open a seal, the lamb breaks open the seal, something happens. And chapter 6 records all six seals being broken open. But the rest of Revelation explains what happens as the seals are broken. So these aren't, you know, you see in a movie the four horsemen lined up on screen. There was one horseman at a time. Symbolically, there was one judgment at a time for the four judgments of the first four seals. Then the fifth seal, the martyrs, and the sixth seal, uh, the end of times. So what I want to do is I want to just remind us of Matthew 24. And I think we'll just read it without any commentary. So listen to the word of the Lord. And then some of this will, you know, as we move through Revelation, I'll piece it in as, as best I can. Um, Jesus left the temple. I'm in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, to the temple. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is his Olivet Discourse talking about the end times, the disciples came to him privately, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming, the second advent, and of the end of the age? That's the question. What will happen, Lord Jesus, when you come again and the, and, the, and the end times occur? And he tells them. He answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Kind of the Antichrist and Antichrist, plural. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. If they must happen, then you know God's behind it. If the devil says things must happen, God's omnipotent. So it's important to realize that the four horsemen of Revelation 6 are agents of the Lord even though they're evil. That's important. Keep that in mind. Uh, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning 
of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end, stands firm in Christ, will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel... Let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. He's, there's a lot of symbolism even here. Understand that he talks about that they will not see death and they will be tossed before the nations and all. They die. They even died, many of them, before A.D. 70. So we can't be referencing Titus in Jerusalem leveling the temple. It's symbolic. It, you've got to keep all that in mind. We can take certain things literally, but what Jesus is saying is things that this sinful world will be judged. We created, God created, a perfect, sinless heaven on earth in the Garden of Eden. And it wasn't long before the serpent came in, Revelation, the dragon, came in and changed all of that because of the, of the uh, sinful nature of humanity and them having the choice to, to, to serve God or serve Satan, right? But God created a perfect place. And the Lord said, and in Revelation, that's what the entire book of, Re of, of, of Revelation is, it, it has to be judged. I mean, this world has got to go through a judgment. You can't have sinful uh, behavior of humanity from Adam and Eve forward and a just God without having a judgment. And even in all of the judging, God, through Christ, Revelation, still gives everyone the chance to repent. So keep that in mind. The abomination of desolation uh, that Daniel prophesied about may well have come, and we discussed it last week, and you know, around 175 B.C. when a Greek king, um, a Seleucid king, went to Jerusalem, sat on the throne and sacrificed a pig in the temple of God and uh, built an altar to Zeus. You know, this, you could, that was a desolation. And Jesus repeats that prophecy as if it hasn't happened yet. Some say he's referencing A.D. 70 with Titus, but may well be the end time. And it could be symbolic. The fact is, is that there will be a, a time of judging. Now let's get to Revelation 6. Okay, uh, we'll just start from the very beginning because uh, last week we talked a lot about the abomination of desolation, spent time there. So the moment that John's privy to the scroll sealed with seven seals, only one who is worthy, he's the Lamb uh, of God, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. He comes forward, four cherubim, or four living creatures, we think they were cherubim, each living creature will announce to the next horseman to come. So they all have a role in it. 
but there's only one. Nobody was worthy to take the scroll and break open its seals because that required perfection. That required God himself. That required God judging the unbelievers and ushering in the new kingdom. And only God can do that. God, the Son, the Lamb of God. So the Lamb of God walks up, the heavens go ballistic, they sing this new song, Worthy art thou to come forward and take the scroll from the hand of God and break open its seals. Worthy art thou, thou to receive glory and honor uh, now and forever. It's a, it's a song they were singing. Millions of angels, myriads of angels, the, the four cherubim, I keep saying that, it says living creature, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Everybody was singing, praising not only praising God on the throne, praising the Lamb, because the Lamb is God. Part of the Trinity. And now he breaks open the first seal, so we start. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. Now, obviously, white is always a sign of victory. Horses were used in ancient times as, as um, animals of war, and only the victor would, would ride in on a white horse. This particular victor, I believe he's the Antichrist. He's certainly not Jesus. That will really come to, uh, that will be even more clear when we, when we read Revelation 19. Christ will also come on a white horse wearing a diadem in Greek, you know, it's a crown with seven crowns, uh, seven crowns within the crown, seven points to the crown, and it always represented royalty, not victory through, um, through uh, fisticuffs, not victory through weaponry, but victor, victory by the fact that he was royal. This crown is different. Stephanos, it just means uh, a crown of victory. But there are no, there are no uh, arrows and the reason is because he comes and he is victorious uh, with a deceitful peace. Keep that in mind now. I don't want to go too much in it, but there, there is, when the, when, the, when the first rider comes forward, we're not talking about a moment. We're talking about a long period of time. Some believe three and a half years. And what, this, what the Antichrist does is he rides in and he seduces the world through lies and deceit because the dragon is the author of lies satan himself he's on a he's on a white horse and he's been on conquest but his conquest is not through military force his conquest is through peace after a period of peace though the second horseman comes when the lamb opened the second seal i heard the second living creature say come then another horse came out a fiery red one its rider was given power to take peace that the first rider had already implemented from the earth and to make men slay each other. Civil war all over the world. Revelation 8 through 20 un unpacks these seasons. So you have the first season of peace but not God's peace, a false, deceitful peace. Jesus said many deceitful, uh, many uh, uh, antichrists will come, many, many who will claim to be the Messiah. And he said, if, when that's the case, don't even listen to them. Again, Matthew 24. 
So we have the white horse bringing in, uh, ushering in peace, false peace, for a period of time, perhaps three and a half years, based on Daniel. Then we have the next horse come forward, and the lamb breaks the second seal, and a living creature says, come, and another agent of wrath, agent of judgment comes. He's riding a red horse. He takes, he destroys all the peace. They say that's when the abomination of desolation will occur. I think it will unfold later. Uh, verse 5, the third seal. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from the four living creatures saying, Listen to what they said. A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. The third horse of the apocalypse is, is a horse of, 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 of famine. There is such inflation. So keep in mind, the first season, and you can put any time to it, and we may not know exactly how long, but we knew, though, this is the order. The first season when Christ comes again and sends these horsemen, will be a devilish peace ruled by the dragon. The second horseman comes and destroys that peace with bloodshed, causing men to, to kill each other. The third horseman comes for another season, and then you have this, this famine going on, and you've got... Uh, Inflation so high that it takes a day's wage to buy a day's meal. If it took every penny I earned to put my daily bread on the table and nothing left over, I don't have a roof, I don't have any transportation, I can't give to anyone, I can't buy clothing. It takes all the money I have to feed my wife and children and me. And it's very clear what they're talking about when he says, this horseman riding a black horse, uh, its rider was holding a pair of scales, how they would weigh out in the marketplace. Then I heard what sounded like a voice, a quart of wheat for a day's wage. Your, your translation might read um, denarium, denarius, right? It, it actually should, because that's what it, it should. Anyway, it takes a quart of wheat is what, and I, I, I looked this up I, because I don't, you know, I don't bake, um, but it took a quart of wheat to make one loaf of bread, about a, about a liter, liter, a little bit less than a quart of wheat to make a loaf of bread. What we're being told is that times will be so hard that it will take a day's wage to feed the family. But guess who is that... There are those without and those with, right? And the handful who are rich and wealthy, they still want their oil and wine because this is evil. So you've got the end times will reach a point where everyone on the face of the earth will pretty much be starving to death, but there will be a handful of wealthy and rich still wanting their wine and oil. And it's a, it's a metaphor, symbolic, of what's going to be happening when the third horseman rides out. Some say that we've been in that for the last 2,000 years. Others say it will never happen exactly like this, and others say it's going to come only uh, at the end when Jesus comes. All right? Verse 7, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, 
I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. In Hades, the afterlife, Sheol was following close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. We've had famines in this nation and in the world in the history of humanity, but never where you have 25% of the entire world's population uh, killed through pestilence and killed through disease. And that's what's going to happen um, according to this. Whether you take it literally or not is up to you. Um, but there's a lot of symbolism involved here as well. So that fourth horse, keep in mind there are four seasons. The reason I keep beating that drum is because as we read through Revelation, you'll see each of these seasons unfold in different terms. We still have seven trumpets, seven bulls of wrath, the final battle, and the victory. Well, it's not four different comings and four different end times. It's one end time and one second advent, one advent, one coming. And it just so happens the, these four horsemen are ushering in seasons, and then he's going to unpack each season. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so you've got the white, red, black, and pale. He opens the fifth seal. The fifth seal are the martyrs. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Evil will not tolerate righteousness. Good, uh, pardon me, bad will not tolerate good. They don't today. Patterson was right when he talked about, you know, using one quick example of the, of, of the fact that, uh, and I'm not going to use the words here, I forgot it, but it was a good thought. And, and, and the thought is, is that we live in an evil world and, 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 and they're all the time oppressing us. I mean, if you walk around truly Christ-like in all that we do, even in our flawed humanity. So let's say that I understand being Christ-like 80% accurately. You know, the other 20%, I do something wrong and I think it's right and God's going to keep working with me. But even if, if 70 or 80% of what we know to do is right and we actually practice that, the world's going to persecute us. Now, it's going to come, according to the apocalypse, it's going to come to a true head. So you've got this... Um, these martyrs. Now, why, why the altar? Where's the symbolism of the, the opening verse in verse 9 when he said, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. Again, you know, he's talking, what, what does that mean? Even though we're in the auditorium, you can still maybe be heard. Why under the altar? Why not just laying on the ground somewhere if somebody's being killed for Christ? Yeah, one Phil. of the things with regard to the altar was that the blood was poured and it would involve, so I believe it involved martyrs, but blood represents life as well. People giving their lives. You nailed it. I wasn't some, I'm not surprised. You've got in Exodus 29 and verse 12 and other places, that's one of the places where the Levitical priests, every time they would offer a sacrifice, they would take the blood of the bulls and goats and so forth, and they were told to sprinkle the horns, you know, there in the tabernacle, and then pour the rest of the blood under the altar. 
under it, right at the, it's called the base, right at the base of the altar, right? And move to the New Testament, Jesus and the woman at the well, the hour is coming and now is when you will not worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem. God is spirit. We worship in spirit and in truth. And then, you know, he's talking about his presence within each person. So, you know, fast forward to, the, to Acts and Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit was poured out on all, on all uh, men, women, servants, etc. Uh, for everyone who belonged to Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, do you not know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and that you are God's temple? And Romans 12 Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. These are all liturgical terms, worship language. In fact, every time a martyr, every time a Christian is martyred, it is under the altar of, of Christ. Is that, so the fifth seal revealed that. Open the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony. And they want vengeance. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? When will you come back and make all things new and remove evil? When will that happen? We want to know, right? Even if we live in the, in the millennial now, I mean, even if we're you know, post-millennialist, and we think it's occurring right now. It's a good question. When will, you, when will you change things, Lord? When will you come again? Now, verse 12, well, then the answer, of course, was, then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been uh, was completed. In other words, more will die because of the faith. Let's go through one more seal because that takes us through chapter 6. And when we get back in the fellowship room, I'm going to, I think the next class we have, I'm going to kind of, um, chapter 7 is an interlude before the seventh seal. And I think we're just going to take time and discussion more. Um, I, th I, think, I think that's important. So thank you for just listening for the last couple of weeks. And we're going to next Sunday if we're back in the fellowship room. By the way, the reason we're not there is because the elevator's broken. And we're having to get it fixed, if you didn't know that. And there are a handful of us who need the elevator. So that's the reason we're choosing to meet right here in the sanctuary, in the auditorium. Okay, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. We might have to spend more time on this later because this is too much. But uh, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. There are seven tectonic plates. I'm not a geologist, but you know, at least I can do a little research. There are seven tectonic plates, they say, worldwide on the Earth. And if any one of these plates began to really shift, it would be uh, catastrophic. And according to Scripture, that when the sixth seal is broken, that that's when this is going to occur. There's going to be not earthquakes as we're familiar with, but massive earthquakes, kind of implying all over the world, all tectonic plates shifting. The stars, uh, probably meteors falling, 
Um, nearly everyone I've read, every commentator, every scholar I've read, just about everyone, it's very rare to have, have nearly 100%, this is what we think it means, and nearly everyone says, interprets the word stars as meteors coming down. So you've got a meteor shower, you've got earthquakes occurring, you have massive mega volcanoes, you have shifting of the tectonic plates, and they say, uh, geologists will say, if that ever occurred, who don't even believe in scripture, if, if, if that ever occurred, it would look like a scroll rolling the sky up, because the earth's crust would shift under you. And those who were alive would scurry to the caves and, and mountains trying to escape this massive uh, destruction of the planet. And it feeds right along with the sixth seal. So let's finish reading it. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. They say that will happen because of the atmospheric stuff, debris. Like sackcloth made of goat hair, the whole moon turned red blood, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place, the entire earth's crust. Then the kings of the earth, those who wanted the oil and wine while everyone else starved, <laughs> all the rich, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now we're talking Lion of Judah here, right? For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? We're talking about the end of history here. I think quickly there are three lessons. I can see the time. I'm a little bit over, forgive me. There are three lessons, I think. The horror of sin, the hiding of sin, and the hardness of sin. You know, we can read Revelation and still make it practical, even though we may not quite grasp every symbolic moment. It's It's practical. And to me, the practical part of this sixth seal is the horrors of sin. God is judging this world and will continue to judge it. And one day at the end time, we'll have a massive judgment. And no one, no one will doubt that it's God judging. Even the evil, the most evil person will stay, will still say, hide us from him who sits on the throne. The horrors the horror of sin, the hiding of, from sin. And there are times we could take it all the way down to our individual walk. This is the application for me. Every time I commit sin, it is horrific. Even if I think it's a little white lie. In God's eyes, it's horrific. And so I try to rationalize. I try to hide from my sin. But in the end, I either have to repent or harden my heart and that's the third, the horrors of sin, the hiding of sin, and the hardness of sin. Even though they are hiding to the caves, from hiding their face from the one who's causing all of this, it is clear throughout Revelation, all they have to do is repent. Why would a person, why did Pharaoh harden his heart? Why not just say, wow, 
I'm sorry. You know, like Job, my eyes have finally seen you, and I repent in my dust and ashes. That kind of a thought. Keep that thought in mind. We're going to close Sunday because it's already 11.30, time to go. But uh, God bless you for being here. Thank you for listening to me twice. The announcement was nearly as long as the lesson. So. Am I thinking about that, you think? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. It's okay, I'm an open book. Sometimes a short story. Okay, Scotty, would you close, help the boy out here up here. And close us in prayer, will you? Let's talk to God. Okay. Father God, we read your words, we read your history, events, people. The most important thing that happens in our lives are the people who love you, have studied you, and we associate with. Those people come into our lives and they leave our lives. For those who have been in our lives and not with us anymore, we look forward to the fact that they're in a better place and they're in a place that we will join them. Let us hold on to that and let us remember that always. Those who have been in our lives and have loved you so much have just inspired us and have made our lives better. And thank you for that so much, dear God. I selfishly ask that you continue to do that. You bring people in our lives that love you, that think the world of you, and just want to build that relationship with you. I ask that for all of us each and every day. And all these things I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.